If you will, open your Bibles to the book of Jonah. Before we get into communion, we are going to come back to our study of the book of Jonah. We are in Jonah chapter 3. And as we come to this passage, we come to a passage of great blessing. Great blessing. And this chapter has in it a lot of good happening with people. It is a chapter in which everybody that does right gets, I think, blessed. And I think we get some great insight into the nature of God and how God changes his mind. We're going to go into that next week. I think the theology that we'll get into is fascinating. This is a passage that tells us how repentance leads to blessing. If you've not been with us on previous studies, or if you have been, let me just recap. We are studying the book of Jonah. We believe the book of Jonah happened around the year 760, maybe 770 B.C., and we are, we are so um, excited about this book because of the story about a great fish swallowing Jonah. We don't want to miss the bigger picture of the miracle that we're going to study today and next week about all the people that come to faith. Now, the background of this is, is that Jonah is prophesying to Israel, we know from 2 Kings chapter 14, in a time when Israel is so disobedient. It's been about 200 years since the nation has split. They split to a northern and southern kingdom. Israel gets the name for the northern kingdom, although sometimes we talk about Israel being the north and the south. Judah gets the southern kingdom. Israel, as we study in First and Second Kings, and we study in First and Second Chronicles, the northern kingdom will have king after king after king who are nothing but bad people, like Ahab and then his wife, Jezebel, all right? Just despicable. Israel never has a good king. And it's during this time that Jonah is prophesying, and God has also sent another prophet, Hosea, to say, get your act together. And Hosea has even gone so far as to say in chapter 11, you are going to eventually be destroyed by Assyria, which would have been like, whoa, how could that be? Because the world power at that time was Egypt. And yet they, they are told that Assyria is going to overpower them. And Nineveh is a major city. It won't officially be the capital of Assyria until about 705 B.C., but it is a major city. And we're going to look at some slides here in a second to show us how great a city it was. But Jonah is told to go to Nineveh. He doesn't want to go because I think he knows the prophecy. He knows that God is going to use Assyria, use Assyria and Nineveh being the major city of it. He knows that this might get them ready to come and attack Israel, to be the agent of punishment by God, as well as he doesn't want to bring blessing to these people because they're vile people. We've talked about that. So what does he do? He says, I'm going to get on a ship and I'm going to go to Tarshish, which was, we think, modern-day Spain, some 2,500 miles away from Israel, which even then would have been 3,000 miles from Nineveh because Nineveh is 500 miles from Israel. And he's disobedient. God sends a storm, says, hey, you're not getting away, even though he could have, even though God could have raised up another prophet. Couldn't he have? Absolutely. He could have raised up another prophet. But God wants something to happen in Jonah. 
And Jonah is sent into the water, thrown overboard by the sailors, and we know a fish swallows him. And while he's inside that fish, we looked at chapter 2 over two weeks, and Jonah repented. And we said the three components of repentance is that you have that change of heart, change of mind, and then a change of direction. Well, the direction was committed to, but it's in chapter 3 where we see it actually played out, that repentance is, is valid. But what we need to recognize and what we need to understand is that Jonah looked at these people and said, these were absolutely vile people who did not deserve to hear this message. And from a standpoint of right and wrong, he's absolutely correct. Think of the most vile people that you know. It's people that have done something horrible to you and think about bringing them the message of salvation. Some of you would say, I don't even want to cross the street and go out of the way for them. And that is what God is teaching us through the book of Jonah. Is like, if I want someone saved, I want you to go to them. And I want you to listen to what I am saying and obey me. Now, the ironic thing about this is, is like, when we study the Old Testament, you know, we, we go through 1 Kings, we go through 2 Kings, we go through 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, and sometimes we get focused on the fact that, you know, God is working through these prophets and he's working through Israel, and sometimes we forget that the rest of the world is still going and marching on. And they are all marching on and living their lives, whether it's people in China, Africa, regions that, you know, we give them those names now, Africa, China, Russia, Japan, if there were people in the Americas, guess what? They're all going to hell. Do you ever think about that? All those people, and you think, why in the world would God do that? And I truly believe that what, one of the things that we have going on through human history is that God is showing us that mankind left to his own devices will never think about God. Turn to Acts chapter 17. You see, in Acts chapter 17, when Jesus finally comes on the scene and we finally have the message of the gospel and we're told to go out into the world, right, telling people about God, there might become a, uh, this, this thing like, well, what, about, what have people been doing all along? And we must remember, going back to human history, when the Tower of Babel came and God split the world into all the different nations, one of the things that theologically, I can't give you like chapter and verse, but I can tell you the passage like Acts 17, as we're going to study it, gives us great insight, is I think God scattered people all over the world. And all of our ancestors, because very few of us are Jewish in this morning, went all around the world. And they all developed cultures that are fantastic, but not one of those cultures, through their intellect, through their development of all their books and literature, came up and said, oh my goodness, there's a one true God, we need to worship the one true God. And it's proof that throughout human history, mankind, left to his own devices, will never come to God. And when Jonah's told to go to Nineveh, he's going to people that are living their lives fully developed, but no knowledge of God. 
And it's in Acts chapter 17 that we get one of the greatest passages to help give us this insight. And it's, it's humbling. It's, it's, it's almost terrifying to think, what if I would have been born in a different era? Look at Paul's statement. This is his famous sermon on Mars Hills where he's bringing it to conclusion and he wants people to understand the need to repent. But he says this in verse 24, Acts 17, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he's Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands because he's, he's, he's chiding the fact that their world system, their religious system has led them with idols and false ways of worshiping God because, again, no human system would ever come up with the right way of honoring God. So he says, verse 25, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. See, this is where you get the insight, the experiment, and you have to add in the reality is that nobody found him. You can like, nobody found him. So whatever your nationality is, whatever your race, I'm German, Slovak, Swedish, I have all those things. None of my people found him. None of them found him. Nobody came to this conclusion. They were all millions and millions and billions of people of my ancestors have all gone to hell. Because God has allowed people, you don't want anything to do with me at the Tower of Babel? Fine, go, live your lives, go scatter all over the world, do your thing. Let's see if you figure this out. You ne they never figured it out. So verse 27, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even though some of your own prophets say, we are also his children. Even if they had some of the aspects that God is the creator and we're all children of God, they still didn't get it. Verse 29, being then children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver in an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Because he's fixed the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he's appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. We know that's Jesus. And, and Paul is getting this message out and it, he's bringing this theology together that people need to hear about Jesus Christ because it's all over. God is done sending people to hell, letting them hear a message of truth. He's focused on Israel for several hundred years, 500,000 years, but now he's opening up human history. And go back to the book of Jonah and understand that there were individual time periods in human history where God would say certain people that were Gentiles, non-Jewish, would hear the message and believe, and you could study in the Old Testament those different passages. But today, as we come to the book of Jonah, and Jonah chapter 3, we come to perhaps one of the greatest, and I've thought about this, maybe the greatest miracle in the entire Old Testament, and it's completely overshadowed by a fish. It is. 
People, you talk about the book of Jonah, you will you very rarely think, if you'd say, what's the greatest miracle in Jonah? You'd say, well, a man was followed by a fish. This is the greatest miracle. If someone can get the lights, I want you to understand. I don't know if there's a greater miracle in all of human history except for the last day of the tribulation, if that is when all the Jews, according to Romans 11, get saved. This morning, I want to do a little picture on Nineveh. Nineveh, ironically, God sends a prophecy in the book of Nahum. I told you we're going to study that next after the book of Jonah. Where the city, the ancient city of Nineveh, was totally wiped out, and it wasn't until the year, the 1800s, that they found it and said, oh my goodness, God wasn't lying. There really was a city of Nineveh. Nineveh is in modern-day Iraq. There's Baghdad. Up here, this green area, there's a modern-day city called Mosul. The, the, the archaeological dig, the city of Nineveh, is right there. This was, I didn't put another map on there, about 500 miles from Israel. Jonah was to go up here to Nineveh and preach. Here, from some of the ruins, they've been able to build um, pictures and, and also start to rebuild part of the city. This city is incredibly elaborate. We're going to see a reference that it's a three-day journey. They believe the perimeter of the city was 57 miles. Here is, from what they can tell from the ruins, you had the river, you had these long walls, you had an incredibly developed city. And the reason I am showing you this is because I want you to see these were normal People from the standpoint like you and me. They wanted life. They wanted their children to grow up in homes. They wanted to be educated. The library that was there was tens of thousands of volumes. It wasn't like we're just, we're just crazy people, you know, living chaotically. This was a very well-developed city. This was from Archaeological Illustrated. Um, if you can see... They believed the city was like incredibly vast. At the end of the book of Jonah, it talks about 120,000 people who didn't know their right hand from the left hand. I don't think he was saying there was 120,000 people who lived there. I believe that he was saying there's 120,000 people that were under the age of two there. And, and the population experts on how you try to devise that for building upwards, put the number of people that were in this city anywhere from 600,000 to maybe 2 million or more. Here, this, there's different gates, and I'll show you. They're, they're finding them. These are the ruins today. Some of these they've rebuilt. Some of these they're actually pulling out. They, 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 they've been able to find that they have these different gates and the different names, but I want you to see that this city that is now being unearthed is really, really developed. Eastern Gate, a Western Gate, okay, down by a major road, the buildings that they're finding. 
Um, they have a map of the perimeter. So the Adad Gate, the Shamash Gate that I was looking at. Again, perimeter of 57 miles. All right, another picture of the Eastern Gate. Okay, Ishtar is a false god. I believe that God was worshipped not only by the Assyrians, but then by the Babylonians. This is a very beautiful, great um, gate that is now in Berlin. And it might be, that this might be the Babylonian one, but I think it's very similar to what they had in Nineveh. And then this was a picture I thought that it showed the, from the Shamash Gate of Nineveh. It was just showing just the vastness of the city from a, from a far view, okay? There's different, they're finding different reliefs, different pictures, different sculptures on that, that were in some of the ruins. I thought this was interesting because this was from the 800 BC. This is supposed to be Israel's king, Jehu. And when he was subjugated by the Assyrian king at that time. And the reason is they put this on there is because they were people and they wanted to brag about their victories. Here, this is around the year 625 to 645, another relief that they found, that, uh, how they can always date it. But this is from a lion hunt. And I think to myself, Daniel and the lion's den, right? And, and Daniel's going to be in Babylon. I know that, but the reality of it is, is these were people. And, and they did their sporting events. I have no idea if this guy was a dentist or not. Okay, nobody gets it. The dentist who got in trouble for killing a lion. Don't you remember? <laughs> okay. Um, here is one of the reliefs. I don't know how they're able to tell this precisely, but this is how they skinned people alive. They were vile people. They were really cruel people. This was a relief that showed when they eventually capture Israel and they're taking them back captives to their, their, to, to their land, okay? So this is an ancient letter, <laughs> not written on papyra or anything, but it was on stone. And the reason I put this up is because it hit me, it overwhelmed me, the volumes, I don't know, 20, 30, 40,000 of volumes of books and the writings they found. This is a letter that came from the battlefield telling a king that his son had died. Why is that significant? Because they, they cared about their families. These were people, flesh and blood, like you and me. And I thought, how interesting. Is this an ancient letter? It was in Assyria, Nineveh. How important were people to them? And when you think what we're going to see in chapter 2 here is for us to understand that these are the people who came to faith. And I think two million people were in that city. Could you imagine going and seeing two million people come to faith overnight? Could you imagine walking to Chicago or going into downtown Chicago and then start preaching tomorrow? Because Chicago what, has seven million people in the surrounding area and every person comes to faith. Isn't that, isn't that an incredible miracle? That's what happens. Turn the lights on. Turn to Jonah chapter 3, okay? See, 
Let's read verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Jonah's now spit out of the giant fish. He says in verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim it to the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Verse 5. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. You need to underline it. This is where we get to next week. They believed in God, and they called the fast and put on a sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. He laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent. God repent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. Verse 10. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from the wicked, their wicked way, that God relented concerning the calamity which he had dis- declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. If you're looking at your sermon notes, it's a chain of repentance that leads to blessing. This is incredible how this all bring, comes about. One author had this concerning this he said some thoughts concerning this fish story read this did any let me read this did anybody see jonah emerge from the great fish vomited up on the dry land i put he wrote disgorged him on the dry land if so the story must have spread rapidly and perhaps even preceded him to nineveh and may have helped explain the reception the city gave him had jonah been bleached by the fish's gastric juices that's what a lot a lot of people think that jonah was like like this white ghostly figure did he look so peculiar that nobody could doubt that he he who he was and what had happened to him Since Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, as Matthew 12 teaches, perhaps this included the way he looked. Perhaps. What the people saw or thought really, though, wasn't important. The important thing was what God thought and what he would do with his repentant prophet. Spurgeon says, The life of Jonah cannot be written without God. Take God out of the prophet's history, and there is no history to write. No, it doesn't have to be because of the fish or how he looks. It's because God caused the repentance. And we must never forget that. But from our human perspective, let's look at this concept of repentance and fill in the blank. Repentance from Jonah shows how a believer changes one's direction. Not one direction, for those of you who are youthful, okay? One's direction. Verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying... And here God says, you're out, go again. And he gives them basically the, almost, almost the same instruction in verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim it to the proclamation, which I'm going to tell you. I think that's interesting. Jonah rebelled, I think, without even knowing the full proclamation. And we don't know how God appeared to him. We have no clue exactly how God appeared to him, how he communicated this. You just have to understand, I believe somehow he did. Did he appear to him? Did he just speak to him in a dream? Don't know. Doesn't matter. Okay? 
So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Wasn't a three days walk from the shore of the Mediterranean Sea. It was a three days walk, I believe, within the city. And so most people that I read this week think the, the average person could walk about 17 miles in a day. So three days walk, and, and it fits with what we have found, that the perimeter is about 57 miles. So it fits that, you know, he'd get through the majority of the city in three days. <laughs> Would you go figure. So Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's the summary of it, because there must have been a part of it where you can repent, you can turn, you know, stop what you're doing. We're not told where Jonah ever proclaims that, but that's exactly how the people respond. So where did they get that concept? Well, maybe they just thought it on their own. But what I wanted to focus on is we need to focus on the fact here at this point that Jonah repented. That Jonah had that change of heart, change of mind, and now the change of action. He actually went. And so, very simple, that we understand this truth. Faith without works is dead, as the book of James teaches us. True belief acts, and when one truly confesses sin, that person will stop it and go in the other direction. I have dealt with many people who are believers who at times get into sin, And they'll say they repent, but then their actions don't change. Did they truly repent? And I say no. When you repent, your actions change. And the repentant believer will do what God says. And I wrote this list down. If you're a believer and you're ever caught in sin, if you truly repent, well, this is what. Believers who repent, they don't make excuses and don't go. Jonah didn't make any more excuses. He went. They don't lie. Oh, I really can't go. No, Jonah, you can go. They don't lie and they go. They don't do nothing and not go. They don't disobey and not go. Jonah gets right with God and he goes. And, and today, I want to challenge you with this as we come into communion. How many unbelievers are not being blessed because you won't do what God wants you to do? Because if you're in sin anywhere today and unbelievers are not being witnessed to because of you, are they watching a life that is ungodly because of you, then who is not being blessed by your right actions? Believers, when we truly, truly repent, our actions change. And so I'm telling you this, we all want blessing in our lives. And I'm not saying that you're going to go to Chicago and start preaching and everything's going to be right. But I'm saying if you are right with God, there is blessing that comes into your life. Jonah not only sees Nineveh come to faith, but I bet you his life is right too. Now, the fascinating thing is we're going to get to chapter 4 and Jonah isn't going to be perfectly aligned. He's still going to be bitter about stuff and that's going to be part of our further study of how at least he did the right thing, but his attitude wasn't perfect, but he did the right thing. And I truly believe he was blessed because of it. So today, ask yourself, 
Do you have something nagging in your life that you know you're supposed to do and you're not doing it? And if you are, as we go ready for communion, repent and make the commitment today to do the right thing. Because I'm telling you, if you're not, you're not being blessed to the extent that you could be. Let's pray. Father, it is overwhelming when we put into pictures the vastness of a city to think that you had all these people, as we already read, just repent. They, they turn to you. How we would love to see that happen in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that every person in our room this morning is desirous of being obedient to you, desirous of getting their life right with you, and that through this process of self-examination that we're going to have here in communion here, that there will be a sense, if there's anyone in sin, that they'll be willing to repent of it and make their life right today. Maybe it's a marriage and the neighbors know that you're always fighting. And maybe by getting their lives right, the neighbors will see something different. Maybe it's someone who's cheating at business and everybody knows you're cheating. And by repenting this week, people will see that you are now truly godly and blessing will come when someone asks about your faith. Our children see a father or mother who's now acting right. And they want the same thing that their parents have. Father, I know that when one repents, blessing comes. And I also know when obedience comes, blessing comes. And so we take it also from that standpoint today. Jonah finally got obedient. And the blessing came for Nineveh, but we know it also came for him. And Lord, I just would pray, knowing that now the times of ignorance have ended, that we who are at Christian Fellowship Church could see an outpouring of your Spirit in our evangelism. I've been asking for this for 19, almost 20 years, God. May we be people who hold nothing back in giving the gospel out. And may we see your blessing because we know that ultimately if Hammond and Highland and Munster and Lansing and Calumet City and Chicago are to be saved, it's because ultimately you give grace. So we ask this day to give grace. In Jesus' name, amen.